We're continuing our series, Baggage, It's Time to Let Go. We've looked at a number of things that we need to let go in our life and trust to the Lord. And Lord willing, this morning we're going to let go and leave behind the baggage of regret. Baggage of regret. First, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this testimony. And we thank you, Lord, that we're reminded you call us call us out of our estrangement, out of our dark places, into a new and living relationship with you. So, Lord, as we, uh, as we dive into this text and we're, we're presented with the high calling you place on each believer's life, I pray that you would also then, God, release from us by the power of your Spirit those burdens that we are meant to lay down and leave behind. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the all-time classic movie scenes comes from the 1954 movie On the Waterfront. Our young staff had not seen the movie, uh, so it's required, it's required this week that they're going to see it. Marlon Brando, uh, Carl Molden, Rob Steiger, Eva Marie Saint. In 1954, On the Waterfront won Eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Supporting Actor. So, if you haven't seen this movie, go rent it. Choir, you've all seen that, right? And then go rent Alfred Hitchcock's famous uh, North by Northwest starring Cary Grant and uh, Eva St. Marie, or Ava Marie Saint, I should say. Amazing. But anyway, so that's your homework for, for tonight. Brando plays the role of a washed-up prizefighter named Terry, who is pressured by the mob to throw a fight that he could have easily have won. The mob messenger is his own brother, Charlie. The decision to deliberately lose begins a downward spiral that ends Terry's boxing career and connects him to organized crime. Years later, Charlie comes back to his brother Terry again to pressure him once more. This time, he asks him to give perjured testimony in court. Their conversation in the back of a taxi uh, goes back to the throne fight years before. The scene sums up deep regrets of a lifetime. And I can't do Brando, but he says, Charlie, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been a somebody. But I'm just a bum, which is what I am, Charlie. It was you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Regrets can haunt us long after the incidents has occurred. Deep regrets are filed in our minds under the headings, if I could live it over again, or if I could take it back, or the file... I should have, or what if, all those files that we have in our minds and our memories. Peter had failed Jesus in a big way when he fled with the others from the garden. Even more so, even worse, he denied his Lord. He denied even knowing him one fateful night. Peter must have wondered if he could ever truly be a true disciple again, having been unfaithful to Jesus at his most crucial hour. So this morning, I want you to consider for yourself, is there baggage of regret that you are carrying right now? 
Decisions that you made long ago that impacted your life, changed the course of a relationship with a loved one, even have, has affected your relationship with Jesus. Like Peter, Jesus will take you aside, not to berate you, but he will ask you, and the Spirit, I pray, will ask each of us this morning to examine your love for him. Now, we know from Scripture that Jesus appeared twice to the disciples after his resurrection. Matthew's Gospel says the second time Jesus told them to go to Galilee and that, they would, that, that he would come and meet them there. And so the disciples left Jerusalem and headed north towards Galilee. Imagine this time for the disciples. It must have been a confusing time. Think for just a moment what it would mean to see Jesus alive. We take it for granted. We confess it every Sunday morning. But imagine seeing your master, your rabbi, your best friend, someone who changed your life, come back from the dead. Beyond their wildest imagination. And while trying to deal with that, trying to wrap their brains around that, they never know when he's going to show up. It's a little spooky. So they go and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and there's no sign of Jesus. And so Peter, being that he's Peter, given his nature, man of action, says, I'm going fishing. I mean, what, what else are they going to do while they wait? And they have to eat, so he says, let's go. So they go fishing, and the text that Janie read says that they go out on the Sea of Tiberias. It's an alternative name for the Sea of Galilee. They go out. And what happens? They catch nothing. Not even a nibble. What went through Peter's mind all that night? Deep regrets are only partially about the moment of past decision. They linger because of their lasting consequences. Regrets are recharged for some on a a daily basis by new pain that comes from yesterday's choices and consequences. Our lives are forever changed from what they could have been or what they should have been. But there's no going back. So I imagine Peter's in both. And that file is being opened. All the what-ifs. All of the should-haves. All those things he wished he could have done differently. Again, the the reality of the resurrection is, is sinking in, and they still haven't learned the profound truth that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. Apart from Christ, they can do nothing. And so they catch nothing. The fish stay away. And there's a mini lesson right here in verse 3, and it's this. It's a, a profound lesson that we learn in life. Failure can teach us so much about our need for God. Failure can serve a wonderful purpose in your life. It can teach you your need for God. It can remind us that any success we have is because of Him. That He is the source of every good and perfect gift. James 1.17. That is worth it for another sermon on failure. We'll do that another time. Well, The the seven disciples, they head out, they fish all night, they catch nothing. They're coming into shore at dawn. About 100 yards out, a stranger calls from the beach, 
Have you caught anything? And the disciples say, no. Now, when do you suppose they started to figure out that that stranger was Jesus? I mean, if a perfect stranger called out to you and said, throw your net starboard, what would prompt you to do that? It's, it's just a question. Chew on it. Let me know what you think. When do you think they started to put it together? We know that John was in the boat. The beloved disciple was there, an eyewitness. He's in the boat, and he's the first one to say, it's the Lord. They, they, I, I, I skipped ahead that when they threw the nets, of course, as we read, there was such a quantity of fish that they could not haul it in. And, and I'm sure the memory started to click as Andy talked about that first time fishing, and, and then it's John who says, it is the Lord. Interesting to note, the same fish who had been ordered to stay away were now ordered to come. I imagine every fish in the lake clamored to get into the disciples' nets beyond the 153. And that's because, unlike people, fish always obey their creator. What happened next Peter throws on his clothes and he, and he dives in. That's what Peter does. That's his nature. He's impetuous. He, he dives in. He, the text says he wades in ahead of the others, wet, shivering. He comes up to that fire to warm himself. He's reminded of another fire that he stood around with perfect strangers, denied his Lord. Suddenly, his, his approach is tentative, uncertain. He sees that Jesus is standing there. He's not a stranger. It is Jesus. He's the same, yet, yet different. Irrefutable evidence of God's power. This wasn't simply a resuscitation like Lazarus. This was Jesus come back from the dead. And filled with regret and all those things weighing on his mind and still wet and shivering. Imagine Peter standing there. His nerves are shot. His teeth are chattering. He can't even form a sentence yet. And so Jesus says, come, let's have breakfast. And after breakfast, the others tend to the boat. They clean and salt the fish, the rest of the couch. They stow away their gear. And this gave Jesus and Peter, an opportunity to talk. And what Jesus says is remarkable. What he doesn't say is even more remarkable. He doesn't say, some friend you turned out to be, Peter. I counted on you and you let me down. He doesn't say, I am really disappointed in you. Instead, he simply asks, do you love me? In his book, Love Beyond Reason, John Orberg tells a true story about a promising junior executive at IBM who was involved in a risky venture for the company and ended up losing $10 million in a gamble. He's called into the office of Tom Watson, the, the CEO and founder and leader of IBM for over 40 years, a business legend. Overwhelmed with guilt and fear, the junior executive blurts out, I, I guess you've called me in for my resignation. Here it is. I resign. Warren replied, you must be joking. I just invested $10 million educating you. I can't afford your resignation. 
And Ordenberg uh, points out, because of Peter's frequent fallops, because often his actions got ahead of, of thinking, he might have had several co- conversations just like this with Jesus, where he says something along the lines of, you were right all along, Jesus. I failed you when you needed me most. Here's my resignation. And in a way, Jesus is saying, Peter, you must be joking. I just invested a resurrection in you. I can't afford your resignation. Look at verse 15. Simon, son of John, notice he doesn't use the nickname of Peter the rock that he had given to him. You are the rock on which I will build this church. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He asks three times for each denial. Not to rub it in, but to give Peter an opportunity to openly confess his love. Do you love me more than all the other disciples, Simon? After all, it was Simon Peter who had said, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Even if all the other turn and run, I will stand firm for you. Jesus isn't asking Peter to eat his words, but he's getting at the heart of the matter. And by the third time, Peter's starting to make the connection. And Jesus restores him. Even more, he recommissions him. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Jesus says, I still believe in you, Peter. I still think you you are the right man for the job. And with the words, follow me, the restoration is complete. The painful memory is healed. There's no more regret, no more anger at himself. He can let it go. Three and a half years before, Jesus had asked Peter to follow him. And the offer still stands, despite Peter's failure. The true shepherd reinstates his dear friend. And then he says this in verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. A right relationship with Christ requires three things according to this passage. Number one, it requires loving Christ. Loving Christ. Do you love Jesus Christ more than anything else? More than anyone else? This is the bottom line characteristic of a relationship with Christ, of the relationship he invites us into. Do you love him more than anything and anyone else? The second aspect of a right relationship with Christ, according to John 21, is that that love for him over everything else means you'll do what honors and glorifies him no matter the cost. Here Jesus predicts how Peter is going to be martyred for Christ. Ask yourself, I'll ask myself, do you deeply love Jesus radically, like it says in the Bible, 
Or do you really, really, really like Jesus? There's a difference. There's a difference between loving Jesus and really, really liking him or admiring him. We're to love Christ, we're to sacrifice for Christ, and thirdly, we're to follow Christ. The final verse, follow me. So here is the Lord restoring a relationship with Peter and reminding us if our relationship is right with him, it will be characterized by loving him more than you love anything else, sacrificing for him anything and everything, including your life, and following him at any cost, no matter what he may ask of you, with no regard for what he may ask of others. So ask yourself, I'll ask myself, what is the condition of my relationship with Christ? Do I love him more than anything else? Am I willing to sacrifice for him, even if it means my life? Do I love him that much? Am I willing to take up my cross and die for him? Or are there many things that are more precious in my life than Christ, and none of them would I willingly sacrifice for him? And finally, will I follow him no matter what he asks of me? All these are questions that speak to the condition of our relationship with Christ according to to Scripture. Now, I imagine there isn't even one of us here who doesn't have regret for the state of our relationship with Christ. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. Lord, how can I do that? Oh, I've let you down so many times. Despite all of God's love and generosity, his adopted children turn again and again against him in sin. So what are we to do? What are we to do? We're to hear the good news. Write this down. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Paul writes this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, listen, without regret. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to to salvation, that's right relationship, without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly sorrow learns from mistakes, seeks forgiveness, trusts God to deal with the past and lead us into a new future. With a strong relationship with Christ, we're empowered to do whatever it is that God asks of us to deal without regret. Some people leave God out of their sorrow. God is a stranger to them in the midst of their suffering. God's a stranger to us in the midst of, of painful memories that we'd rather just forget so we forget God. They choose to be bitter, blaming, resentful. They refuse to forgive others and will not forgive themselves. Are you willing to forgive yourselves? Their regret poisons their souls. It, it can haunt your life. Please don't do that. Don't do it a day more. Stop it today. Don't carry that burden. Make a choice. Will you deal with deep regret God's way 
or the world's way. God's way may not be easy. It takes enormous faith and courage to forgive and to do what is right. God's way is often a process. Deep regret rarely goes away as fast as it did for Peter. We need to keep coming back into shore. We need to keep communing, communing with Christ and, and seeking his counsel. We need to repeatedly confess and seek fresh forgiveness on a daily basis. But the choice is this. Will you allow yesterday's regrets to weigh you down another day, another month, another year? Go to God with your deep regrets, and he will begin to renew you. Follow Jesus. Trust Jesus to turn regret into renewal. And you're asking right now, if I could read your minds, how in the world do we do that? Pastor Andy, can you come? And let's just turn to the Lord in prayer and ask him to do that work right now, to leave that burden behind. Peter's story is all of our story. The story of us turning from you and you coming to find us and to restore us. This mystery of reconciliation that is at the heart of the gospel is a story that can be ours. And so we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the way that you come after us even when we turn away from you and seek to restore us and bring us back into right relationship with you. You continue to bless us and love us no matter our condition. We come into this room with joys and with burdens. We give you thanks for one among us who has had a clean bill of health at a doctor visit this week. We praise you with another among us for a new job. We give you thanks along with someone who is celebrating the birth of twin babies, Connor and Claire. And we pray for their mom and dad, Aaron and Casey. We praise you along with a one among us for a successful surgery for Betty Workman on Friday and for a birthday and an anniversary to, of loved ones who are near to us. Lord, your faithfulness is new every morning and your steadfast love endures forever.